0: Hello, and welcome back to another spooky episode of Paranormal Stories and Spooky Shiz. I'm your host, Chappie. Let's get started. All right, welcome back. Today we're going to start with 15 stories about fairies that prove that they are more creepy than cute. This comes to us from Ranker.com by Amber Fah. All right. When you think fairies, what comes to mind? You probably picture an adorable, sparkly creature akin to Disney's Tinkerbell. A lovely and above all, friendly presence. You may even want to make contact with them. Unfortunately, glittering humanoids with butterfly wings are the stuff of children's stories. Retrace fairy folklore and you'll discover a secret, scary origin. Cultures all over the world put their own disturbing spin on the fae. In Wales... Fairy folk take away babies and leave their own twisted offspring in their place. Scottish Kelpies, which are one of the fae, meanwhile are known for that for their taste of human flesh. As for Icelandic Holdafolk and Filipino Berberuka, both fae, you'll have to keep reading to discover what makes them so chilling. Just because they're mythological doesn't mean that fairies are any less frightening. Here are a few of the darkest attributes. Just remember to shut your windows tight before going to sleep tonight. Alright. They're babies back from the grave. Oh my goodness. Utbirds are fairies that belong to that are believed to be revived spirits of babies who pass during harsh winters. They tend to haunt anyone who hangs around the sites of their demise. Misery is their mission. Uh, Utbirds are even known to transform into large, terrifying owls and prey on night travelers. Ooh, that is creepy. Number two, they claw you to pieces. Typically illustrated as haggard and old, redcaps are said to be armed with razor-sharp teeth and claws, which they use to eat humans and fairies alike. Their name hints at their vicious nature. Redcaps mop up their target's blood with their cap after they commit a slaying. Oh my gosh. They slay children. Bin, Bin Fion fairies are also known as drowning fairies. They're said to pull children to their underwater doom. If you're searching for Ben Fon fairy, you're advised to look around dark waters where drownings have occurred. These creatures were likely devised by parents looking to keep their kids from playing in the water, but that doesn't make them any less creepy. Their screams mean doom. The Banshee, also known as the Woman Fairy, originated in Ireland and is said to be the most active at night before passing. In some folklore, she even comes to the door of those who are expected to pass. She looks like a full-sized woman, and though her appearance varies by region, her hair is always stringy, and she always wears a white gown or shroud. She frequently appears covered in moss as well. The Banshee is recognized by her loud, mourning wails, which are said to be a harbinger of someone's demise. They get excited by death. Vicaras gather outside the homes of dying people while happily chattering to each other. These 18-inch tall harbingers of doom are instantly recognizable, thanks to their vivid red color and blood-stained teeth. According to folklore, they can be appeased, but it isn't easy. Vicaras require a shrine filled with daily burn offerings of flowers and spices to leave you alone. My goodness. They eat humans. Fairies are, aren't just menaces to humans. They can be a threat to their own kind, too. Consider Kelpies, a kind of human-eating fae. Small, ugly, and bulbous, Kelpies are known for their foul tempers. They were once said to crop up everywhere in Scottish locks and the North Sea, but fell into decline thanks to their appetite for other fairies. But Kelpies don't discriminate when it comes to slaying. They love to eat deer that wander too near to the locks. They are able to shapeshift to lure in human prey. They even have folktales about Kelpies who have taken the appearances of seahorses, luring young maidens who they then submerge and devour. They have evil souls. Number seven. According to Irish folklore, the slough are fairies, Thought to be the souls of evil people, these fairies travel in a swarm at night. Often appearing like blackbirds, they prefer prey. Their preferred prey are dying people who have yet to give in their last rites. Some stories, however, say that you can call them by feeling deep sadness or simply by saying their name. Once the slow have you in their sights, the only way to rid them is to offer another person in your place. But they're easily. Easy to spot. In their humanoid form, the slaw look like malnourished people with leathery wings. Ugh. They lure you in with bait. According to Filipino folklore, the Barbaroka are highly dangerous fairies that inhabit rivers and swamps. They are said to prey upon fishermen by ingesting large volumes of water, thereby bringing up fish. Once the fishers make their way to that specific spot, the Berberoca regurgitates the water to capsize their boats. Ultimately, the helpless fishers are dragged underwater and eaten. They take babies. Bendith, a clan of Welch fairies, are notorious baby nappers. They nab human babies and replace them with their own deformed offspring known as Crimbles. Sometimes the bendith will return the baby after teaching it about music, but more often than not, parents require the assistance of a witch to get their child back. When they aren't taking children, the bendith get their kicks riding horses and tangling up their manes. Their ugliness can end you. A threatening but solitary creature, the fucking the fucking fairy, lives in the Highland mountains. The falcon's brooding nature is due to its appearance, as it has only one of everything. One ear, one arm, one leg, one toe, one eye. All of these features are centered directly down the middle of its body, which is both hairy and feathery. The creature is said to be so hideous that the mere sight of them can stop a person's heart. The falcon is sensitive about not having wings or the gift of flight, so it waves a spiked club at all living things that cross its path. They Get You Lost Mischievous will-o'-wisps ha- marshy ground and love playing practical jokes. However, their jokes consist of leading travelers astray with the flickering lights, sometimes leading people straight to their doom in the bogs. It is believed that steering clear of will-o'-wisps' footpaths is the best way to avoid them, although they are known to sometimes help people who are kind to them and offer them money. They Wreck Ships The blue men of Minch, or sea kelpies, prey on sailors. They sport green beards and hair and are pretty buff. Some say these creatures live in caves underwater and they can control the weather and the seas. If you ever plan on sailing the high seas, make sure you have what it takes to defeat sea kelpies. According to folklore, captains have escaped disaster on the waters simply with their sharp tongues. However, the blue men of Minch, Minch can only be beaten with rhyming duels. They seduce, then punish you. Holdafolk are Icelandic fairies who are somewhat neutral. Some people believe they are beneficial. They build tiny wooden homes for fairies to live in. folk are naturally, typically neutral, and they aren't typically malicious. But they do have a strict moral code. These human-like creatures are known to attempt to seduce people. Those who resist are rewarded, but anyone who resists Surrenders is punished. They run around without clothes. The Kalazori fairies are always without clothes. While that might make you uncomfortable, the creep factor comes in with their feet. They're usually shaped like different animals. These fairies tend to ride around on chickens and are blind, so they typically found in groups. Sometimes they even recruit outcast fairies to be their guides. They're hideous. Brownies are typically guardian fairies who do chores and help around the house. While that may sound sweet and endearing, folklore says they are hideous to look at. In some regions of Scotland, they have no separate toes or fingers. In other areas, they have a hole in their face where the nose should be. Ooh, freaky, freaky! So that's a little bit of folklore about them. Let's get into some encounters. Be right back after this. Welcome back. All right, we're gonna get into historytoday.com. They're telling us a way with fairies. It's folklore, fairies, and demonic spirits in the skeptical seventeenth century. By Abigail Sparks. I chose to include this story because it kind of gives us a backstory into like what our ancestors thought fairies were, um, whether they were true or demonic spirits or anything. It kind of gives us a window into the past. All right, I'll begin. A pamphlet circulated in 1696 that told the story of a 19-year-old domestic servant, Anne Jeffreys, who, while knitting in the garden, encountered six persons of a small stature, all clothed in green, which she called fairies. The story was written and published by Moses Pitt, a London-based printer and bookseller. Jeffreys had been employed by Pitt's family at the time of the event, which was dated to the year of 1645. The publication was in part a personal reflection of the mysteries, mysterious events that occurred during Jeffrey's childhood. However, it's also indicative of the complex and capricious nature of fairy belief in the late 17th century, at a time when political opinion was divided between strict Christian orthodoxy and the increasing skepticism of the natural world. Belief in fairies, while arguably not as problematic as communicating with other mythical spirits, came under attack during English Protestant Reformation, where medieval fairies were mischievous, lovable, and occasionally unpredictable. The fairies of the 16th century were far more dangerous creatures. As with many superstitious or magical practices, Protestant officials correlated the belief in fairies with malphysium and the devil. The Elizabethan preacher Edmund Bicknell argued in 1579 that the purpose of fairies or such other fancies was to cast the spirit of grace so that the devil will be forever the terror of our conscience. James, I contended with this demonology, James I contended with his demonology that the devils conversing in the earth could be divided into four categories, including these kind of spirits that are called vulgari the fairy. Similarly, the poet Thomas Washburn described in 1654 that after the puck had led him astray around, he had chosen the devil's track, not God's. The concept of fairies is inherent as inherently evil beings, capable of causing terror, misfortune, as a result of their collusion with the devil, is evident in Jeffreys' case. Pitt described how, on meeting the fairies, Jeffrey fell into a kind of convulsion fit, which left her so very sick that she could not stand on her feet. The Protestant understanding that fairies could enter the mind to corrupt the soul had certainly permeated popular belief by the 17th century, drawing parallels between medieval folk tales and contemporary fears of the devil. Similarly, cases such as the story of a convicted Scottish witch named Isabel Halden, who was taken unwell after a pr- visit from the fairy folk in 1623, were consistently reported in cheap prints later in 1677 the dr john webster diagnosed the cause of the fairy taken illness as ignorance popery, and superstition as well as weak religious and moral conviction as a young unmarried woman jeffries was perceived as a likely victim of the devil due to her vulnerability the significance of gender in this case, is also apparent in the second part of the tale. After Jeffries recovered from her illness, she suddenly acquired the ability to heal using potions, charms, reflecting the role of a medieval cunning woman, or more poignantly, a witch. She also refused to eat for a sustained period and was instead fed by these fairies from the harvest time to next Christmas day with fairy bread. Which she also gave to a young pit while he was in her care. The dependence on evil spirits and use of magical charm was forbidden in the seventeenth century, both in secular and ecclesiastical belief, as an act of witchcraft. Between seventeen 17- for 1572 and 1716, for example, there were at least 39 Scottish trials that believed condemned the communication with fairies or fae in an act of malficium. the punishment was, which was cruel ranging from flogging or banishment to execution. It is unsurprising then that Geoffrey's powers and the stories she told of these fairies alerted legal authorities who tried to persuade the family that she was under the delusion of the devil. Fortunately for Jeffreys, however, the family was not convinced of this argument. As Pitt wrote, she did no hurt, but good to all that came to her, as she healed the sick and cared for their home. The family's determination to protect Jeffreys, despite the repercussions of her actions, illustrate the inconsistencies in contemporary understanding of the nature of spirits. The court... Which had previously condemned people for similar crimes failed to convict Jeffreys, and she was freed without charge. The case of Anne Jeff- Jeffreys is significant for many reasons. It shows that despite the constant attack of origin on the origin of spirits by Protestant theologians and legal authorities in the late seventeenth century, there remains discrepancies in popular understanding. Fairies were evil creatures with the capability to harm, thanks to their collusion with the devil and a diabolical remnant of the Catholic past, but they could also bring good fortune to those who encountered and bestow gifts of healing, food, and magic. Furthermore, in the 1690s, when religion dominated and divided political opinion, the pamphlet can be seen as a reaction against the increasingly popularity of atheism and disbelief in the aftermath of the civil wars, 1642 to 51, and the Glorious Revolution in 1688. Pitt represents the case of evidence as a, of the great and marvelous works of an interventionist god, emphasizing the Protestant doctrine of providence. As a result, the pamphlet challenges the hostile attitude towards religion to suggest that fairies, miracles, and folktales still had an important place within an increasingly skeptical society. Oh, that was very cool. Very coolly written. So that was way back in the day. Um, people were condemned for colluding with fairies because they were believed to be demonic spirits. So that was cool how the story of Anne Jefferies, she actually was not, but it was because she was a servant and the household that was telling her story didn't believe that she was evil, basically. If she, they would have believed that she was evil, she would have been tried, possibly executed or flogged or something so that's pretty crazy Um, it also says she didn't eat for a while because the fairy sustained her and she healed the sick suddenly magically so I mean that's a plus in the belief category all right let's take a short break and be right back at it after this Welcome back to Paranormal Stories and Spooky Shiz. I'm your host, Chappie, and I've got a special guest, my little nephew here. He is going to tell us what he thinks about fairies. Ryder? They are nice. They like people, but they don't like monsters because, well, they're not nice to people. And what do they eat? Um, Sometimes they probably eat fairies. Do they eat other people? Um, sometimes. They used to. They used to? Mm Mm-hmm. They changed their ways? Yeah, they did. And how do you know this? Because I just like century and stuff, so... You just like what? I just like century. Century? Mm Mm-hmm. That makes no sense. That means, like, if, like, you like, like the future what used to happen Mm -hmm. that's what it means history history i like history sorry okay cool all right and that was my little nephew's opinion on fairies we'll be right back after this message another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back, my spooky friends. Today, we're going to be talking about elves, the fae, goblins, and all the things that truly don't exist, but people claim to have seen them. We're going to start off by talking about a mysterious tale from Hopkinsville, Kentucky, um, where a family claimed to have seen some goblins. So let's, let's get into it. This is called the Kelly Hopkinsville Encounter. The Kelly Hopkinsville Encounter, a.k.a. the Hopkinsville Goblin Case, was claimed close encounter with extraterrestrial beings in 1955 near Kelly and Hopkinsville in Christian County, Kentucky, United States. Ufologists refer it as one of the most significant and well-documented cases in history of UFO events. While skeptics say the reports were due to the effects of excitement and misidentification of natural phenomena, such as meteors and owls. The United States Air Force classified the alleged incident as a hoax in Project Blue Books files. Psychologists have used the alleged incident as an academic example of pseudoscience to help students distinguish truth from fiction. So here are the claims. On the evening of August 21, 1955, five adults and seven children arrived at the Hopkinsville police station, claiming that small alien creatures with a spaceship were attacking their farmhouse, and they had been holding them off with gunfire for nearly four hours. Two of the adults, Elmer Sutton and Billy Ray Taylor, claimed they had been shooting at 12 to 15 short, dark figures who repeatedly popped up at the doorway and peered into the windows. Concerned about a possible gun battle between local citizens, four city police, five state trooper, and three deputy sheriffs and four military police from the nearby U.S. Army Fort Campbell drove to Sutton Farmhouse, located near the town of Kelly in Christian County. Their search yielded nothing apart from evidence of gunfire and holes in the windows and doors, screens made by firearms. Residents of the farmhouse included Glenny Langford, Her children, Lonnie, Charlton, and Mary, two sons from a previous marriage, Elmer Lucky Sutton, Charlie Sutton, and their respective wives, Vera and Aline. Aline's brother, O.P. Baker, and Billy Ray Taylor and his wife, June. Both the Taylors, Lucky and Vera Sutton, were reportedly internate carnival workers that visited the farmhouse. The next day, neighbors told two officers that the family had packed up and left after claiming the creatures had returned about 3.30 in the morning. All right, press coverage. The family's claims received wide, pre- widespread coverage in local and national press. Early articles did not refer to little green men. The color was later added to some newspaper stories. Estimated, the sizes of alleged creatures varied between two feet to four feet. And details such as large pointed ears, claw-like hands, eyes that glowed yellow, and spindly legs later appeared in various media. A couple explanations. Uh, Psychologists Rodney Smalls and Scott Linfield cite the alleged incident as an example of pseudoscience, an extraordinary claim to help students develop critical thinking skills. It is plausible if not likely, that the aliens were great horned owls, and there is some evidence that eyewitnesses may have been intoxicated during the alien attack, said Nickel during 2006. Committee for Skeptical Inquiry member and skeptic Joe Nickel notes the family could have been misidentified eagle owls or great horned owls, which are nocturnal, fly silently, have yellow eyes, and aggressively defend their nests. According to Nickel, meteor sightings also occurred at the time that could explain Billy Ray Taylor's claim that he saw a bright light streak across the sky and disappear beyond the tree line some distance from the house. According to author Brian Dunning, there are simply too many similarities between the creatures reported by the family and the aggressive pair of local great horned owls, which do stand about two-thirds of a meter tall. It could be an owl. It could be. We'll see. UFOlogists. French UFOlogist Renaud Lectic also argued in a publication that the explanation of of the case is great horned owls. UFOlogist Jerome Clark writes the supposed creatures floated through the trees and sounded in the sounds of bullets striking them, resembled bullets striking a metal bucket. Clark describes an odd luminous patch along a fence where one of the beings had been shot and in the woods beyond, a light green whose source could not be determined. However, this description is consistent with foxfire, a bioluminescent fungus on decaying wood. Clark also wrote that investigations by police, Air Force officers from nearby Fort Campbell and civilian ufologists found no evidence of a hoax. However, Brian Dunning reports that the claim that the Air Force investigators showed up the next day at Mrs. Lankford's house has been published a number of times by later authors, but I can find no corroborating evidence of this. Dunning also observed that the four military police who accompanied the police officers on the night of the event were from an Army base, not an Air Force base. Some ufologists compared the alleged creatures to gremlins, which have been often been returned... <laughs> Some ufologists compared the alleged creatures to gremlins, which have since often been referred to as the Hopkinsville goblins in popular culture. Ufologist Alan Hendry wrote, This case is distinguished by its duration and also the number of witnesses involved. Project Blue Book listed the case as a hoax, with no further comment. Alright, popular culture. The Hopkinsville sighting is... At the original of the popular popularization of the world words, little green men. Prior to this sighting, flying saucer occupants were called little men. Little green men were limited to science fiction culture. Do do. But the day following the sighting, the local reporters started to call the creatures little green men, and the word soon reproduced in many newspapers, quoted on the radio, and translated into many other languages. The Kelly community now celebrates the anniversary of the event on a third weekend of every August in an event they called the Kelly Little Green Men Days. All right. It's also been replicated in popular culture, such as the Pokemon Sableye. <laughs> If anybody plays Pokemon, um, Sable Eye is based on the Goblin's descripti- description in the Hopkinsville encounter. In the game, they're animated with swaying and waiting motion based on the creature's reported gait. That's cool. Um, yeah. So that's pretty much a synopsis. There's also a movie on Amazon Prime. I'm trying to think of what it's called. It's on my paranormal page um but it's like a series following the hopkinsville goblins where people are trying to find them so that's pretty cool i put a picture from project blue book on my paranormal stories page that's paranormal stories spooky shiz in parentheses on facebook be sure to check us out um post any paranormal stories or any uh spooky memes all right let's read what they have to say why are aliens so often depicted as little green men with bulbous heads and oversized eyes? The mythology began in part on the night of August 21st, 1955 um, with the Suttons in Hopkinsville. Um, people gave it kind of terror struck believement because these aren't the type of people that come to the police for help. Um, what they do is reach for guns, but There were men, women, and children hysterical, and one man with a pulse of 140 beats per minute measured by an investigator. It looks like they were impervious to bullets, sounding like uh, silver metal. Oh my goodness. Some of these depictions of aliens are crazy. I will move on. Alright, this is called Are Fairies Real by Benjamin Radford LiveScience.com. Fairies are tiny, often beautiful, human-like creatures, sometimes with wings, that appear in legends and folklore around the world. Fairies likely began as a version of pagan nature gods and goddesses, and thus they are often associated with the outdoors, especially forests, as well as magic and journeys. Depending on the region, fairies are said to live in woodland communities, underground kingdoms, inhabit lakes, hills, stone, and grass circles, often along with centaurs, elves, ogres, gnomes, and other such animals in folklore. Fairies come in many races and tribes and are also said to vary in size and shape, though most are small. Some change size and become man-sized or larger if they choose. In centuries past, people were much less sophisticated about what was real or what wasn't. Much of the world was still unexplored and shrouded in mystery. Traveling shows brought amazing creatures from around the world to people who've never seen such wonders. Animals such as giraffes, bears, tigers, for example, appeared as attractions in carnivals and circuses during the 1800s. For many, having seen these animals for the first time, Dragons, mermaids, and fairies did not seem that far-fetched. In the modern era, fairies have been mostly regulated to children's magical fiction, uh, hence the phrase fairy tales. In centuries past, however, many adults also believed in the existence of fairies. Early fairies were not cute pixies. They were lustful, nasty, and cruel creatures, as likely to kill you as lead you out of the forest. They were often benevolent, but could also become capricious and vindictive. Travelers on long journeys, or even those beyond their home villages, would bring offerings to leave the fairies, typically bread cakes, tobacco, or fruits. In return, the fairy folk might provide good weather or safe passage from wild beasts and highwaymen. On the other hand, those who failed to do so risked ruin. If you got on the bad side of a fairy, doom was sure to befall you sooner or later. Whether in the form of a terrible storm, an accident, or the death of a child, the fairies would have their revenge. Even mentioning fairies was enough to incur their wrath, but that reason they were often referred to as obliquely as the gentle people or the good folk. Fairies were also associated with changeling beliefs, and were sometimes said to secretly swap sick babies sick fairy babies for healthy human ones. In fact, belief in fairies was the root of a famous murder in Ireland. In nineteen or eighteen ninety five, that's almost the nineteen hundreds, guys, <laughs> a woman named Bridget Cleary was killed by her husband, who claimed that she was not really his wife, but instead a changeling brought to him by fairies. Wow. Fairy affairs reappeared two decades later when two teenage cousins, Frances Griffith and Elsie Wright, played with fairies in the English countryside near Cottingley. Interacting with imaginary fairy friends would probably be considered normal behavior for 10 and 16-year-old girls, but the pair insisted the fairies were real. They even provided proof in the form of five photographs showing little fairy folk playing with the girls. While some dismissed the photos as obvious fakes, many others were not so sure. Sir Conan Doyle, creator of Sherlock Holmes, believed that the fairies were real and wrote a book titled The Coming of the Fairies in which he discussed fairies and his conviction that their existence had been proven beyond any doubt. Many were taken in and the reality of fairies was the subject of debate among some adults for decades. Finally, in 1983, Francis Griffiths, then 75 years old, confessed that the fairies were cut out drawings from a book. Though belief in fairies exists to this day in some places, especially in Ireland, Iceland, Norway, and Scotland, modern fairies have been sanitized for children's books, and luckily lost their murderous ways. So that's a brief synopsis. Let's see what else we got. THE WOMEN WHO CLAIM TO SEE FAIRIES by Carolyn Kent Society has long been enchanted by the thought the small-winged beings dwell in our gardens and forests, protecting the trees and flowers they inhabit. From Peter Pan's Tinkerbell to the magical sprites in Fern Gully, fairies are still integral to many childhood stories. But new research shows that the idea follows a surprising number of us into adulthood too. 44% of 1,602 Brits surveyed by Dr. Simon Young and Dr. Holbrook profess to see fairies. Their new book, Magical Folk, British and Irish Fairies, 500 AD to present, is the first major modern history of such beings in almost half a century. The two historians found that fairies are significantly more likely to have appeared to women, 68% of those who had seen them were female, and that many respondents were able to provide detailed descriptions of their fairy experience, ranging from malicious to the sensual. There is something inherently fascinating by the phenomenon that cannot be proved or disproved conclusively, Young tells Broadly. Despite their continual existence in our culture, we still cannot decide whether fairies are fact or fiction. They are simultaneously known and unknown, an itch that cannot be finally or completely scratched. Even though we've been trying for centuries, fairies have remained perfectly balanced on the line of belief. Sightings of fairies and studies vary wildly, from Tinkerbell caricature many of us are acquainted with, One respondent described witnessing an all-night woodland rave where two female fairies, a dwarf and a goblin, and what they described as a mudman, danced to tribal drums till dawn. Another recalled, My friend and I initially both noticed an amorphous gray shape on the ground about 100 meters ahead. We thought it must have been a large dog or a deer. It morphed into a branch and emerged again. It then became two female figures. They both had long, flowing dresses on and wings on their back. Their laughter was felt in my whole being, like a babbling brook or rustling leaves. In line with the folklore, the fairies favor nature. The study, about 27% of sightings occur in the woods. Their idyllic context perhaps helps to explain their continued appeal as an antidote to our increasingly industrial and urban world. Ariana Nadine, a practicing witch and co-host for astrology podcast, Blood Moon Milk, says that her fascination with fairies was spurred by a craving for greater connection with nature. I was always into nature, animal rights, and recycling, and I'm an animal intuitive, she tells broadly. I've always thought the earth is intelligent, consciousness, and my relationship with fairies and earth's spirits grew from that. From those keen to experience fairies, Nadine cautions that they are not at all gossamer and glitter. Working with them is super easy, she says, but is very serious, since they have egos. I I make a daily offering of incense, thank them for parts of nature, like the rain or the bees, and tell them I remember them, even if their names are forgotten." I always keep fresh bird seed on my porch, take care of my plants, and pick up litter I see. So what happens if you get on the wrong side of a fairy? The last time their devious behavior made headlines was the case of Bridget Clary, the Irish woman that we mentioned earlier, murdered by the, her husband in 1895. He claimed that the real Cleary had been abducted by fairies, and that he merely killed the changeling that they left in her place. Though Clary's case is now better understood as a case of domestic violence rather than fairy mischief, 27% of the magical folk respondents who had the experienced fairies did report them being unfriendly or downright hostile. A middle-aged woman watched a fairy hunt children by the side of a river. The implication was that the fairy wanted to drown the children, recalls Young of one of the respondents. It has to be said that this has always been feature of fairy sightings fairies are not all sweetness and light they have this nasty cruel side in historical accounts heather a 30 year old british ceramicist and fairy fan chooses to placate them with offerings she requested to withhold her name for privacy reasons also if she gives her full name to a fairy it gives them power over her I have an altar for them just outside of my studio, where I leave them bread, honey, and crystals. More in the hopes of a peaceful relationship than because I'm seeking out contact, she says. As with 35% of Young and Holman's study group, Heather claims her fairy sightings were typically short, lasting only a few seconds or less. I see fairies in my peripheral vision, and on rare occasions, straight on for a few seconds. Other women say they have lasting relationships with fairies and have altered the course of their life. Cornwall-based event organizer and Faye magazine editor, Karen Kay, says she communes with fairies on a daily basis. They tend to communicate telepathically. I hear them in a different way to my usual internal mind chatter. This takes on a different quality. I get goosebumps and tingles. It's a lovely feeling, like waves of magic washing over me, she explains. The experience is often visual, too. Fairies usually show themselves to me at for- as forms of tiny flashing lights. Once, when I was driving along A30 highway, my eyes were drawn to a giant pair of legs on the horizon. Naturally, my gaze went upward, only to see the fairy giant fairy standing next to a tree. When I thought about it, it made perfect sense that a fairy would be the same size as a plant or a tree, that it was guardian of. Big trees mean big fairies. Simple. Kay said fairy communications over the years have ranged from asking her to pick up litter to requesting that she organize a festival for other fairy enthusiasts. I was c- very concerned. Sorry, I keep seeing <laughs> light out of the corner of my eye. I was very concerned that this could literally ruin my reputation, but the fairies insisted that I announce the event and explained. Explained that this was the way building trust between us. It was a success, and Kay went on to found Faye, a publication that pays homage to all things very adjacent. <laughs> oh my goodness. I know why I was seeing light out of the corner of my eye. I have my uh laser stuff going on my ceiling. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm a dork. <laughs> She's like, I see lights out of the corner of my eye, and I was like, me too! <laughs> okay, I digress. That was embarrassing. Alright, it's easy to understand how fairies can become lifelong companions for women who crave a taste of the ethereal and wish to embrace the intangible feminine forces that sit quietly at the margins of mainstream patriotical society. Nadine argues that increasingly the number of women become... Open to the possibility of fairies can remain relevant well into adulthood. I think the earth is needing our attention. The earth spirits and fairies need our help to protect it. We are part of nature too, and we're fucking it up faster than Mother Earth can level it out. All right. Nice article. This is 5 Things We've Learned About Fairies Through Writing This Blog, by Jade Westerman, Exhibitions Assistant at Palace Green Library. Our first step on the trail into the world of the fairies was creating an exhibition Between Worlds, Folklore Fairy Tales from Northern Britain. Between Worlds considered the various types of fairy folk that had existed in Northern Britain literature, history, and art. Our goal was to try to dispel the popular belief that fairies were pretty little creatures dancing at the bottom of the garden. Check my time. Alright, let's take a short break and be right back at it after this. Alright, welcome back my spooky friends. I'm Chappie and let's get right back into the article that we were reading. When we started this blog to run alongside the exhibition, we thought we would be prepared for all the weird and wonderful folklore and fairy facts that came our way. I'm happy to say that 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 was most certainly not the case. Just as Between Worlds came to an end, so must this blog. For our final post, we thought we'd round it up by telling you the top five fairy and folklore facts we found most interesting. Folklore fact number one. Homes are safe havens for many of us, and landscapes are sacred to fairy folk too. The consequence of trespassing on their land is dire and often deadly, depending on which stories you believe. Whether it's in the form of setting up camp, walking into a fairy ring, or crashing one of their parties, many unsuspecting mortals have been whisked away or had their lives threatened. Even in Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream, an unsuspecting human finds themselves the playthings of the fairy king and queen, Oberon and Titiana. Anyway, especially after waltzing into their woodland. One of the most prominent examples is Thomas the Rhymer, who played a significant role in the Between Worlds exhibition. The romance between Thomas and the fairy queen is famous with many people regularly trekking to Eldon Hills to visit the location Thomas was gifted with his prophetic powers. To read more about his extraordinary story, check out Dr. Victoria Flood and Poppy Holden's posts. Folklore Fact Number Two As folklore and fairy tales are rooted in the supernatural, it has been easy to manipulate them for one's own purposes. Fairies have been the foundation of numerous hoaxes, including the famous Cottingley Fairies, a story of the two girls who had nearly managed to convince the world of the existence of fairies. Myths, folklore, and fairy tales have always been a key tool for learning throughout history and have often been manipulated for this purpose. One of the most surprising posts we received was an, adapta- an adaptation of fairy tales by the Nazi regime. Many of us know that there are variations of the story of Little Red Riding Hood, whether it's the child-friendly or the Brothers Grimm version, but very few of us recollect the Nazi officer as the hero of that story. More on that sorts of tales can be read about at our link. Folklore fact number three. Just as in our own human societies, fairy folk, both good and bad, have their own customs and etiquette too. If you were to find yourself facing head-on with the fairy host, someone tells us that you should shout, God bless you. He also recommends throwing your left shoe at them. But if that doesn't work, then you're going to have to fight them with with only one shoe on. We believe the general rule is not to disturb them if you don't need to. Don't break a fairy ring if you have ever come across them. And if you do want to draw a fairy in, then try using something shiny. But if you want to keep them away, then you should keep yellow flowers outside your house or have some iron objects lying around. Read Pollyanna's 8 tips on how to socialize with a fairy. Alright, folklore fact number 4. The prominence of certain fairy types differs from region to region. Here in Northern Britain, we have hobgoblins, fairies who abduct children and adults alike and even fairy folk royalty, among many others. But then in Scotland, there's the Seely and the Unsealy courts, as good and bad fairies. In the county Durham itself, there's a water witch, which waits at the water's edge, luring in small children to feast on their flesh and bones. Our friends at the Museum of Magic and Witchcraft explained that the Cornwall had a variety of fairies, and that their prominent is the Pisky. The Pisky runs, and I'm saying that exactly how it's spelled, not pixie, it's Pisky. runs rampant, causing mischief and mayhem along its path. Like most fairies, in order to fend off the Piskies, you need some iron. Otherwise, they'll steal anything shiny and play tricks. Lisa Tallis explains that they wanted to focus on the darker side of Welch folklore, looking at demons and devils. She speaks of fairies such as the Bendith Amama, their mother's blessing, who are known for both blessed favor humans and steal newborns from their beds. Wow. Folklore fact number five. Folklore and fairy tales aren't just a thing of the past or creativity to ins- be inspired by fairy mythological folk. They still inspire people today, for writers to musicians to artists. Many authors who have contributed to this blog are still inspired by the stories of the folk. Adam Bushnell discusses in his post a few modern works that have been used in folklore, myth, as a foundation for their narrative. The Brothers Gillespie performed for an audience here at the Palace Green Library, playing many songs inspired by folklore, They've accumulated over the travels. They're influenced not only by the likes of Nick Drake and other modern musicians, but also the folk song and fairy tales of old. Here's a couple of on dealing with fairies. There are many tales about fairies, but how do you deal with them? Over the years, customs and behaviors have been developed so that your encounter with a fairy can be quite a positive one. Pollyanna gives us her top eight tips on how to keep on a fairy's good side. Tip number one, it would seem that fairies dislike discord within their host homes. Bad language and arguments are bound to cause upset. Seemingly, these magical folks enjoy their peace and quiet. Offerings of milk and honey could be left to appease the fairies should they become upset with their human companions. Circles of mushrooms known as fairy rings were described as being left by fairy footfalls after a night of dancing under the moon. It is considered very bad luck to break a fairy ring, causing seven years of bad luck to fall upon anyone who damages them. Some people avoid walking inside of them entirely, believing they are portals to the fairy realm. Tip number three. Anything shiny is supposed to attract fairies, and you may find that these items go missing only to appear in the most unexpected places once the fairies are bored with their newly found toy. A more recent phenomenon is that of placing fairy nests or fairy doors in the garden in hopes that the fae will make some place their home, helping a garden to thrive. This is a very recent idea, romanticizing these folk. Tip four. The elder tree is believed to be associated with fairies, and bad luck or seven years in the fairy land awaits anyone who picked flowers from this plant on Midsummer's Eve. Tip five. Not all fairies are benevolent. Should you find yourself out walking alone at night and hear the wickering of a horse or see strange light up ahead, do not follow, for you may find yourself waylaid and pure led, and puck led. Survivors of such experience often awoke in muddy ditch, fooled by fairy lights and destroying off their path and into disaster. Tip 6. For those fearing fairies dwelling in their homes, yellow flower-bloom plants outside the home are thought to act as a deterrent, also items crafted by iron. Tip 7. While invisible to most humans, there, there were ways in which one could obtain the enchanted eye. One would be One would be to wash their eyelids with the dew collected on May Day's Eve. Another is to gaze through a hole within a hagstone. A stone with a naturally formed hole within it. Tip 8. There are ways to know when a fairy is present nearby without the aid of a hagstone. The bobbling of a head of a bog cotton. When the air is still, laughter heard within, without an apparent source or a sudden swirl of leaves crossing the road marked the path of one of the magical beings. It is a courteous nod your head or tip your hat to acknowledge them if you are to be known as friendly to the Fae. Be warned, though, once you are noticed, this can never be undone. Huh. Very, very cool. There are plenty of people that believe strongly in the existence of fairies in the Fae. And let's see... This is an article, or the article I just read was betweenworldsdurham.wordpress. This is an article from Soul and Spirit Magazine. Magical real-life tales. Fairies rescued me, and now I'm saving them. All right. Jenny Dayton had visits from fae folk all her life, but it wasn't until her world turned upside down that she listened. My earliest memory, my earliest memory of the supernatural, was before I could talk. I used to watch pretty lights flying above my cot, and I always wanted to join them up there. When I was about four years old, my mother took me to visit her friend, and I played in her garden, collecting lavender and daydreaming. Afterwards, I was given the Sicily. Baker's Flower Fairies book to look at. It was such a poignant moment because the first time I had a name for the magical flying things, they were fairies. As I grew up, these lights appeared less frequently, but when they did visit, they were spectacular. Once I was hanging the washing out in the garden and I saw several golden orbs dancing around in a circle. There was nothing around that could have caused the reflection like this. I could clearly see them, They were three-dimensional. All my senses were heightened, and everything felt intense and magical. When you encounter fairies, you just know that it's a different experience to ordinary life. Losing my way. In 2007, I moved to Saddleworth to follow my dream job at a corporate company. But it didn't last long, and I was soon out of work. I found myself a long way from my friends, family, and home I lived in for over 20 years. I completely changed my life for this opportunity, leaving my husband and teenage son in our old house, while our son finished college and we sold the house. To make matters worse, I needed to have a hysterectomy and my thyroid removed not long after I relocated. I had these operations a few weeks apart, so it meant I was convalescing all alone. In the space of a few months, my world had been turned upside down. The job I had taken really wasn't me. I was uncomfortable in the boardroom, in the politics, and hidden agendas. I didn't really understand how it worked, and I knew I didn't like it. How had I blown so far off course? Where was the little girl who just wanted to spend time outdoors, creating magical things, and caring for wildlife? I got it all wrong. I felt like a failure. Fairies to the Rescue It was only after I lost my job and was forced to slow down that I began to hear the fairies communicate with me again. It started with the thought, be yourself, do what you love, and you will be healed. These words popped into my head from out of nowhere and were accompanied with a strong sense of joy. I followed the advice and started crafting, as I had always found making things therapeutic. I bought some wool tops from a local mill and taught myself how to wet felt, how to make wet felt. Standing at the kitchen sink, I lifted my first attempt up to the light and was amazed to see that I was holding bore no resemblance to the material I was expecting to see. The wispy, delicate fibers had ethereal quality and seemed to come to life in my hands. I suddenly realized that this was a fairy trying to help me. I crafted the felt into tiny fae figures, which I hung in my bedroom window. That night, while I slept, I had a dream about a fairy being blown off course and finding herself at a special healing place inside a hill hill at the back of my house. In the morning, I looked through my window and wondered if the thorn tree on the slope in my garden could be a magical portal where fairies wanted to come and rest and relax. I made more fairies, and each one had a story... That had come to me overnight. I slept with a notebook by my bed so I could jot them all down. Once I had a collection of figures, I invited a photographer to take some pictures with them by the hill in my garden. When we looked at the images, neither of us could believe what we saw. Over the thorn tree was an orb, in exactly the same place as my dreams. We were both flabbergasted. <coughs> Spreading the love. After this experience, I decided to set up a fairy sanctuary in my garden. It's an enchanted place for people to reconnect with magical things. It's an enchanted place for people to reconnect with magical beings. One of the best places or things about my job is sharing the joy and happiness fairies bring into the lives. And that's the end of that article. All right, Encounters with the Good People from Encounterswiththegoodpeople.com. Hmm, nah. (coughs) All right, so that is it for the fairy talk and goblin talk. Let's take a short break and get right back at it after this. All right, welcome back. We're going to hop on over to Reddit and read one of the stories there. This is called The Good People, or Fairies Are Real and They Are Not What You Think, by Amber Sweet. One hot summer, and a naturally hot summer for my province, actually, my friend Heather invited a few of her girlfriends out to her family's cabin for a few hours. Going to the cabin in the summer is one of the most favorite things for people who live on this rock in the middle of the Atlantic. Newfoundland is Canada's most eastern province and the most easterly point of all North America. Heather's family owned a cabin on a little island about five hours away from the capital of St. John's. A ferry ran twice a day across the bay to bring you over and take you back to the small community of less than 150 people. She brought three of us along that summer, her girlfriend Sarah, Jackie, and me. The island where her cabin is located is small. And the community is smaller. There aren't a whole lot of people around, and I was told it would be hard to get lost in the woods because of the size of the place, so it was perfect for exploring. Heather was excited to do so. She knew there were tons of old houses in the woods, but at that point, she hadn't been able to check them out. We were planning on staying there for about a week. We left on Sunday, and on the following Saturday, Heather's parents were coming to stay at the cabin for another week. We had a lot of time to relax swim sunbathe and smoke too much weed and eat way too much food on wednesday we were talking about going through downtown of the community downtown is a serious exaggeration it's just where most of the houses are and where the ferry docks are when a family friend waved at us over to his lawn and asked us how things were going Heather knew him well, and they were chatting about family, how the summer was going, and if her father was had got a moose yet. You know, the basic stuff. When Heather mentioned to him that she was interested in exploring the woods a bit, her friend furrowed his brow and warned her that even though the island was small, the woods were surprisingly easy to get lost in. You watch it now, Heather. You know these woods are teeming with the good people, he said, giving the rest of us a little side wink. Heather laughed and patted his shoulder. Dad warned me all about them coming out here when I was a kid. I know all about the fairies, and I know not one of them have had any trouble with them, so I think we'll be okay, she replied, but I'll put a piece of bread in my pocket just in case. Now fairies, they're a weird Newfoundland thing brought over from English and Irish ancestors. At the time, I was in university following majoring in folklore, so I thought I knew all about them. I was beyond excited to hear them mentioned. It's a dying belief here, and it's really taken seriously, and it's not really taken seriously anymore. It's hard to find anyone who even knows about them these days, let alone anyone who would actually warn us about them, call them by their old name, the good people. I know what you're thinking. Who the hell would be afraid of the fairies of all things? But these aren't the cute Tinkerbell fairies with wings and magic dust and cute stuff. The ones around here are a different kind of fairy altogether. This is something that I would learn the hard way. After Heather said goodbyes, Jackie asked asked her what the piece of bread was about. They say a piece of bread in your pocket keeps you safe from them, she replied with a grin. Jackie gave me the side eye. Are you serious? Safe from what? You really never heard of fairies before? I asked her, not being able to stop my smart ass from being superior in my wealth of folklore knowledge. They lead you off into the woods and shit and make you lost, steal your babies, and generally fuck you up. Little gnarly old things who dance around rocks and think it's fun... Time to kill your animals and create mischief whenever they can. Jackie rolled her eyes at me. Okay, Miss Paranormal Expert, go get your degree in ghost already. She gave me a playful shove. She reached the top of the hill that overlooked the downtown area and beach, and Heather pointed in the opposite direction and declared, that's where we're going after lunch, ladies, right into the woods. Will our phones work out there? You know your way around there, right, babe? Sarah asked, frowning at her iPhone. I only have one bar right now. Nah, it probably won't work, but we'll be fine. We won't go far in, so we might not get lost. I'll just climb a a tree and look for a house. Not like this place is big. Heather was the most adventurous and bravest of all. I could see the excitement buzzing in her. She wouldn't be able to say no to this idea. All of us knew that. We put out our hiking gear and off we went. The first hour was uneventful. We weren't just wandering aimlessly. There ended up being a labyrinth of old trails and ATV tracks we could follow. I loved hiking, so I was soaking up the sounds and smells of the woods and general general splendor when Heather yelled out to us to further up the path, You guys! Oh man, come here, come look! We rounded a turn and came right up to a house. It was like the trail led right to it. It was old, obviously abandoned, yet seemingly sitting right in the middle of the woods, with a small, overgrown front lawn that was lined up with the falling-down white picket fence. It was a salt-box-style home that is extremely common in Newfoundland, Newfoundland. Sorry for all the Newfoundland people that I keep mispronouncing your <laughs> uh, place that you live. At one point in time, basically all the houses looked like this one. The paint was peeling, one of the windows at the top of the floor was boarded up, and the old wooden door was hanging off its hinges. Look at this beauty. We hit a mother load with this one. This There's still stuff inside. Heather could barely contain her excitement as she peered through the windows. We entered through the front door, as it was already open, and began looking around. The house wasn't big. It had a small sitting room, a dining room, a kitchen on the bottom floor. Old dusty furniture and random knickknacks were scattered throughout, and wallpaper peeled from the walls. Jackie and I were looking at some faded and worn-out pictures on the wall, while Sarah was standing awkwardly in the middle of the dining room, biting her lip. I couldn't tell, or I could tell that she was feeling uncomfortable. Relax. No one is here, and it's only two o'clock. There's tons of sunlight left. Look at, this. look at all this stuff. This is wild, Heather exclaimed as she inspected a very large old record player against the wall. I don't know. I just feel weird in this place, Sarah replied as her eyes wandered around the room uncomfortably. That's because it's old and probably about to fall at any moment, Jackie teased. Heather shot her a disapproving look, but I laughed. Heather was the most anxious of all of us, and I wasn't much better, but I was feeling surprisingly okay. I was too preoccupied with all the cool stuff to worry about anything just yet. Once, Heather decided she wanted to check out the top floor. "'Well, I'm not going up there. Why is it so dark?' Sarah asked. She wrapped her arms around herself and glared up the stairs. "'That must be from the boarded-up window, I guess.' I was feeling pretty uncomfortable going up there myself. I can admit to being a wimp just fine. (laughs) I was being a wimp. Old houses are creepy, and it was getting dark up there. I wasn't interested in seeing any ghosts or falling through the floor. Heather, however, was about it. The rest of us reluctantly agreed to follow her up. We timidly climbed the creaky stairs, and at the top there was a room to our left, and the door was jammed so we went down the short hallway that led to the front of the house. The boarded-up window was at the end of the hallway, but I noticed there was no window at all in a child's room we entered. Heather and Jackie were looking excitedly through a box of toys, talking about the weird stuff. When I glanced around the room, it was small, only big enough to have a small toddler-sized bed, a toy box, and a bookshelf. This is too creepy, you guys. I want to leave, Sarah said, her brows furrowed. "'No, babe, come on, this is cool,' Heather pleaded. "'What are you so afraid of?' "'There's no one here but us.' Sarah shifted uncomfortably, admitting defeat. Jackie stopped what she was doing and looked around slowly. "'Did you guys hear that?' My heart jumped in my chest. "'What?' I asked. "'Don't stay. Don't say stuff like that. Stop freaking us out.' "'No, seriously,' she said, and stood up. "'I thought for sure I heard somebody calling my name.' I bit my lip, wondering if I should believe her, and assume she was trying to scare us. I don't know. Then I heard it. Very, very softly, someone called my name. It was soft, and so far away sounding, that I wasn't sure I heard it at all. I blinked and looked at the others. They were standing still as could be. I could see fear in Sarah's eye. It was my name that time, she almost whispered. But I started to reply, then Heather cut me off. "'Nah, you guys. You're just freaking yourselves out. "'Maybe we should just leave before you start convincing yourself of other stuff,' "'Heather said, obviously annoyed. "'But I could tell the tone in the room had changed dramatically. "'We agreed to leave. "'When we got outside, I felt instantly better. "'I think the air in there was messing with us. "'The place is moldy and smelly. Old places will do that.' "'Jackie stopped abruptly. "'What the crap? Where's the trail?' I looked ahead. The trail we came in from was no longer there. It was just thick trees and bushes. I gasped. My eyes wide. How was that possible? We were just out there, and the trail was right in front of us. Heather laughed nervously. See, you guys. We're all freaked out, and you know that just makes things worse. The trail is there. Just hold on. She went over to where the trail was supposed to be and tried to push through the bushes. It's here. We're just it's just she trailed off as she frantically pushed through tree limbs and thick brush. My heart sank. I was confused. The trail was right there. It brought us right to this house. But as we looked forward into the picket from the picket fence, it was like the house was smack dab in the middle of the woods with nothing leading to it at all. Heather came out of the brush. There's it's just woods. "'No one panic yet. Let's look over here.' We followed her around the house to the backyard. "'Look, see? There's a trail. Ha!' Heather exclaimed as she pointed to the gate at the end of the backyard. "'Sure enough, there was a trail there. We breathed a sigh of relief. I didn't know what had happened out front, but I decided I shouldn't think about it too much. I decided I didn't want to scare myself more than I had already had.' Before long, I could feel the tension ease a bit, and we were joking and laughing just as we were before. I took out my phone, wondering what time it was, but to my dismay, it was dead. Ugh, my stupid phone died. What time is it? I asked, stuffing my useless phone back into my pocket. Like a cliche horror movie, Jackie and Heather's phones were somehow dead as well. We talked it up to bad reception and wonky battery percentage, but I could see t- that Sarah had tensed up. I didn't even bring mine. Are you guys serious? All your phones are dead? I looked up at the sky. It's okay, Sarah. The sun is still fairly high. It can't be past 3 o'clock, so we have a lot of time to get back. They all agreed, and I could tell everyone was feeling uneasy. Being out here was, with no way to call anyone in an emergency, well, we're the generation that just isn't used to that kind of digital isolation, so not having a phone was making us all very uncomfortable. Discussions turned to other things, what we were going to eat for supper that night, how we should have rolled a few joints before the hike, what we would do tomorrow, when Jackie exclaimed, oh look, I think I see a fence up there, another abandoned house maybe? We hurried up the path to check it out. Falling down white picket fence peeling white paint, it was the same saltbox house with windows boarded up on the top floor, a front door falling from the hinges. Oh, you have got to be kidding me, I said, confused yet again. It was the same house. We had walked in a circle for what must have been an hour. But, but how? We walked in a circle? We couldn't have. I, Sarah had stammered, but Heather just wrapped an arm around her and kissed her cheek softly. This sucks, but it happens sometimes, she said. The trails are a maze. We must have somehow got turned around. But we walked straight; we didn't go down any other trails. Heather, how? Sarah and Heather beca- continued to bicker, but it was too busy. I was too busy staring at the house to pay attention to what they were saying. I squinted and shielded my eyes from the lowering sun. Their windows were reflective, but I thought for sure I had seen movement in the upper window. My heart was beating faster than I was comfortable with. I convinced myself it was a trick of the eye but I noticed Jackie staring at the same window. I walked over to her. What are you looking at? I asked her, wondering what the reply was going to be. I'm losing it, dude. I thought I saw something in the window up there. Something white, like a kid, maybe. I don't know. I don't see anything anymore. Forget it. Jackie turned around and walked back towards Heather and Sarah. I followed her. I don't like this, Heather, I said, starting to feel really uneasy. Don't sweat it, look, the trail was here the whole time. We must have just not noticed it when we left the first time. The trail in the backyard leads leads back to the house, which makes sense. So this time we just go down the trail we came from and we'll be back at the cabin smoking a big bat in no time. She was still pretty calm, still being silly old Heather. I felt better, she was right. The path behind the house would most likely lead to the property. we weren't paying attention. The woods were playing tricks on us. The mood was getting somber, though. Heather tried to pick up her spirits, but at that point we wanted nothing more than just to be back at the cabin. Heather and Sarah took the lead, paying far more attention to where we were going this time, making sure we didn't get turned around. The sun was getting lower in the sky, and the further we went, the more my stomach nodded. Suddenly, Heather stopped in her tracks and put a finger in the air to signal us to do the same. We stopped. What? I thought I heard someone call my name, she said, straining to listen. We did the same. I don't hear, I started to say, but then I heard it. Someone shout out my name. Not too far off, like before, but much closer. My heart leapt into my throat. Who is that? Who out here even knows my name? Jackie said, looking around. Hello? She called out, and the rest of us looked confused. But I heard my name, Sarah said. No one called your name, Jackie. I heard someone call out Sarah. This was not good. I couldn't hide the fear on my face, and neither could the others. No one said anything. We understood each of us had heard our own name being called, and then I heard it again. Like it was someone in the distance, but still close by, call my name. I couldn't tell what direction it was coming from, and it sounded wrong. I couldn't tell if it was a man or a woman, a child or adult. It made my hair stand up, and my chest flutter. And again, this is a true story. I saw the color drain from my friend's faces. Let's go, Heather said, starting to walk briskly down the path again. We tried to catch up to her, but Heather was taller and faster than the rest of us, and soon she was out of sight. Wait up, Sarah called out. But a few seconds later, we saw that she stopped on the path again, just ahead of us. It, it can't be, she, it can't be, she stammered. It didn't, I didn't see it at first, but looking up higher at the tree line, I could see that same damn house again. At this point, I didn't think my heart could beat any faster, but it did. How could this be happening? How did we go in a circle again when we were so careful this time? What the crap, Heather? What the crap? Jackie was yelling. How the hell do we walk in a circle again? Heather was shaking her head. I, I've never seen her look scared before. Heather was also the level headed one of us all, and boasted about going on random adventures and never losing her coal, even when she ran into trouble. I felt at that moment we were completely screwed. We were dead lost, and we would be out here for God only knows how long with no food and not enough water. At that moment, the fairies came back into my mind, and I believed in that moment that they were very real, And they were screwing with us. I could see Sarah on the verge of tears, and Heather wrapped her arm around her and told her it was okay, and they would find their way home, and not to worry. Jackie and I just stood awkwardly in the path, not knowing what to say or what to do. We didn't want to go near that house again, but we just stood there while Heather calmed Sarah down until it was starting to get dark. We need to move, Jackie finally said. I agreed. We weren't going to get out of here by just standing around. Okay, this time we follow the sun. It's setting. We know if we follow it, we're going in one direction and we can't get turned around again. Off we went again, this time none of us said a word. We were scared, we were hungry, and we were just getting pissed off. It was getting dangerously close to being dark by the time we spotted the house again. This time Sarah just burst into tears, unable to control herself any longer. I felt the tears stinging my eyes and a hard lump in my throat. I wrinkled my nose as I tried to fight it back. Jackie swore and began yelling at Heather. "What the crap, Heather? How is this possible? You said we wouldn't get lost. You said it was impossible. You said you would climb a tree if you had to. So, so climb a tree, Heather. Climb a tree and find a way out. You got us into this. Holy crap, this is so fucked up." <laughs> I was trying to change all the (laughs) curse words, and I missed one. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Heather just took Jackie's strong words and said nothing while she bit her lip. Okay, she replied when Jackie was done, and then started looking for a high and stable tree to find. Almost all the trees in Newfoundland forests are conifers, pine, spruce, and fir trees. Not exactly that easy to climb. But at that point, Heather was desperate, and she struggled to climb through the dense branches that cracked easily under her weight. Somehow, she managed to get near the top, and she looked around. There! She shouted out, pointing in the opposite direction of the house. There's a light over that way. I can see it. She slid down excitedly. We started to jog in that direction, fighting our way through thick trees, ignoring the cuts the brush was giving us. I didn't care anymore. I just needed to be away from that house and out of these woods. We stumbled into a clearing and I heard Sarah moan loudly. I looked up. We we're back at the house. We we're at the back of the house this time. That is fucking impossible. Impossible. W- it was just behind us, Heather had said with her hands in her head in disbelief. I just gaped. I couldn't think straight. My breathing started to become rapid in disbelief. "'and my eyes began to cloud over. "'How, how, how?' I repeated in my head. "'How was this even happening? "'At this point we were all crying, "'none of us able to fight it back any longer. "'Even Heather had tears streaming down her face "'as she tried to calm Sarah down, who was downright sobbing. "'We sat down in the grass behind the backyard fence, "'feeling defeated. "'It was more or less completely dark now. "'We had been in the woods for more than eight hours by this time, "'and I was tired.' My stomach was in knots. My chest felt tight and painful. None of us knew what to do. Suddenly, Sarah gasped and pointed in front of her. What is... What, 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 She stammered. My heart flew into my throat. I turned around. At the edge of the clearing, near the side of the house, maybe 20 feet from us, I could barely make out a shape. It was all white, or maybe it was gray, in the shape and size of a small child. It looked like a human, but it was completely naked. And it had no characteristics. Its face was blank, and between its legs was smooth like a doll. Nothing. It was like completely blank person. It was standing casually with its arms out leaning against a tree. When it turned its head to look at us, I heard the others gasp behind me, and then we ran. We got up and tore our ass out of there. But it felt like we ran only a few seconds when I bumped into Heather in front of me. She had stopped dead in her tracks, her mouth hanging open and her mouth wide. "'What?' I started to say, until I realized the house was right in front of us again. My mind buzzed. I felt like I was going to fall over. We weren't alone this time. Making a circle around the house, there was a large group of these blank people. They were, well, I hesitate to say dancing, because it wasn't really dancing. It was more like twitching and shaking. Their limbs looked like they were filled with liquid as their arms wiggled around their sides. Their legs stomped back and forth as they moved while white blank bodies, heads shaking, their whole body twitching in a way that made my blood run cold. They looked human, but they were not human movements. Human limbs don't bend or move that way, and they can't jerk around that quickly either. None of us said anything. None of us screamed. We just stood there, transfixed on these creatures, completely unable to process what we were seeing. My whole body felt frozen. My legs were jelly, and a scream was trying to escape from my throat, but it couldn't make it out. Then the creatures all stopped. They stopped and stood perfectly still. In complete unison, they turned and looked at us. That was when we ran. I ran as fast and hard as I have ever. We ran with tears streaming down our faces until I couldn't feel my legs anymore and my lungs were on fire. I didn't know it was possible. I could even run like that. My mind was blank. The only thing I could focus on was Jackie who was directly in front of me. I couldn't hear anything. I couldn't feel anything. I just ran. It felt like we ran for hours when we reached a clearing and I saw a street light. I burst into sobbing tears. I couldn't control it any longer. My body was shaking and I fell to the ground. Jackie held me and we all cried together, sat in the grass on the side of the road while the street light glaring down at us. We were out. After we composed ourselves, we began slowly making our way back to Heather's cabin. We were exhausted, everything hurt. We walked back without saying a word to each other. As we reached the driveway, we noticed the lights were on in the cabin and there was another car in the driveway. It was Heather's parents. They were casually sitting on the back deck, listening to music and drinking beers. Mom jumped up as soon as we came into sight. Where were you? My lord, Heather, what mess you were in now? What mess were you in now? She gasped, looking at all of us cut and bruised with puffy eyes. What are you guys doing here? Was all she managed to say in reply. You knew we were coming today. Where in the world were you? But mom, it's only Wednesday. It's Saturday, Heather. Were you guys out on a bender in the woods? Are you okay? You're all a mess. None of us said a word. We couldn't. If we talked about it, then that meant it was all real. I don't know what happened to those three lost days we had in the woods. What I do know is that I was completely wrong about fairies. They're, they are nothing like the old folktales say. They are not little old guys with pointy hats, prance merrily around rocks, cute little girls with wings. They are so much worse than that. It has been many years, and I still haven't come to terms with what happened. Writing this has been a struggle. But maybe now, after writing it all down and admitting that it happened, maybe I'll be able to hike through the woods again. Maybe I'll stop hearing my name being called out in the distance. Maybe I'll stop seeing those blank faces staring into my bedroom window at night. Maybe. And a little P.S. This is my very first post on Reddit. I've been hesitant about this for a long time because the writing of this account is going to be really difficult for me. However, I've been encouraged by my therapist that writing this experience would be a good idea and would help with my healing process. I finally worked up the nerve to do it, so here it is. I figured if I was going to share this experience with people, I might as well share it with people who might actually believe me on Reddit and no sleep. This is all true and really happened to me and a few of my old friends. Thanks for taking the time to read this. Whew, goodness. That was a good story. So, are you convinced? Do you now believe in fairies or goblins or ghosts? Are you convinced? Maybe not. Maybe so. Alright, who's to say? Um, I know in the Christian perspective, stuff like fairies and stuff like that tends to deal with demonic influence and such. So, with that being said, um, just be careful if you do ever try to mess with the fairies. Um, There's a saying that says don't don't play with the fairies. <laughs> um, respect the thir- the fairies. There's a reason. Um, stuff you shouldn't mess with, basically. All right. So we're very excited. Tomorrow we're going to be going to a Waverly Hills Sanatorium. Um, very excited to explore that with a couple of friends. Um, and then we'll be giving a debrief episode to you guys and telling you guys about what happened. So very excited for that. Uh, be sure to like us our facebook page is paranormal stories spooky shizzes in parentheses Um, that's where we put updates on the podcast and post spooky memes and share stories uh, that you guys have experiences that you guys have all right well it's been fun it's been a great episode on fairies and you guys asked for it so there it was Um, and stay spooky my friends